Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to our number two of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Gregory of Narek, Abbot and Doctor of the Church. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of of your morning wherever you may be across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Our email, if you want to reach us directly with whatever might be on your mind, any thoughts or story ideas you want to share with us, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah once again. Hey, Glenn, what are a few of the big stories uh, making headlines this hour here on this Tuesday morning? It's presidential primary day in Michigan. Things going on there on the Republican side. President Trump, a, a huge favorite, of course, on the Democratic side. President Biden, huge favorite as well. Over a million votes have already been cast. Now, overall, this is great news for our state. The robust early voting turnout shows that Michigan citizens are engaged in this process and are making sure their voice is heard. That's Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson says most of those were cast absentee, but over 78,000 early in-person votes cast during the nine days uh, early voting was open. This is something to keep in mind, too, as we head toward November 5th. Voting actually will begin a lot earlier than that in many states. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, the next uh, next chapter written today and then uh, a week from today, Super Tuesday, when a lot of states will uh, have uh, primaries around the country. And then that will really kind of shake out who will be left, John. And, uh, Glenn, there is an effort uh, uh, to get Democratic voters to withhold their vote from President Biden in uh, today's uh, primary there in Michigan because uh, folks uh, in that state are not happy with the way that he's been handling uh, the Israel-Hamas war. Large and vocal uh, Arab and Muslim community in Michigan uh, expressing displeasure with U.S. support for Israel in the war uh, against Hamas. Yeah. And, and they're urging uh, voters uh, to mark down uncommitted on the ballot, so uh, they're they're expecting uh, as they're they're hoping to get as many as ten thousand um, uncommitted votes there uh, in in Michigan, and uh, you know it's uh, that's a little bit embarrassing uh, for uh, President Biden. Yeah, something he'll have to deal with. The Democrats have been trying to kind of thread that needle between historic Jewish support as they support Israel after the terrorist attacks by Hamas and uh, then courting the Muslim uh, vote for many many years as well, and so uh, that's. Uh, Something they'll be facing. I tell you, one of the really big issues uh, for both parties is uh, border issues and immigration. Addressing that, uh, both main presidential candidates, uh, former President Trump and current President Biden, will be on the border this week. President Biden will be uh, talking with Border Patrol agents, law enforcement, local leaders. He'll be in Brownsville on Thursday and uh, the same day. Former President Trump slated to be in Eagle Pass, Texas, a very hot spot for immigration uh, the same day uh, with some remarks as well. I wonder if they're going to be uh, cleaning up a Brownsville like uh, they have in the past uh, when um, 
the VP uh, traveled to uh, to the border or, uh, you know, situations where, you know, people from Congress come down there and, you know, everything looks all cleaned up and it doesn't really give you a, a good, uh, you know, reading on what's actually happening on the ground. Uh, former President Trump will be uh, at Eagle Pass, uh, Texas, on that same day. So who would have thunk it that they, they both would be there uh, on the same day? Well, if it helps to get some more attention and, uh, you know, something done, that would be great. That would be great. Well, and speaking of great. <laughs> yes, uh, speaking of great. Cereal. Yeah. Cereal. Yeah. It's cereal for dinner day. Well, according to the Kellogg's CEO, uh, Gary Pilnick says people should eat cereal for dinner to, to save money on soaring food costs. And now breakfast for dinner, that's not a bad thing, guys, huh? Oh, no, I love breakfast for dinner. In fact, this is a highlight of our family. Anytime it's a birthday or we're celebrating someone, uh, breakfast for dinner is usually what we do. Now, I will say this. Part of that is because it's really easy to do breakfast for dinner. (laughs) So that's a win for mom. But also just we like, you know, pancakes, sausages, waffles. You know, we get creative with what we're going to do. I'm always trying to make, trying to like maybe have less sugar so not add as much syrup. So I always try to throw things in the pancakes, like maybe some chocolate chips or some strawberries. I'm like, yeah, you don't need anything else. So I try to sneak on that in that way, but we we love breakfast for dinner. It's a big staple at our house. Um, not always cereal. It's usually not cereal. It's usually a little more complicated than cereal. Yeah, I think the Kellogg CEO was thinking more in terms of cereal. You know, Tony the Tiger. Well, you know, you might um, join a breakfast club and then you could have breakfast anytime. Breakfast, uh, noon, night. And, you know, many restaurants used to um, actually serve their breakfast all day long and then they i don't know maybe not everyone was into that kind of club action so they you know kind of downsized it but a lot more fast food chains do serve breakfast they're waking up early for those of us who are out and about and don't have time for that uh, to make our own breakfast well there was the the morning man dilemma on the radio if the shift would go till 10 and that often was the time that you know fast food places serve breakfast till 10 and at 1001 it was shut off no way you could not get your morning your morning stuff there and they hadn't really fired up the grill for the lunch things either so it was it was like no man's land for what you eat when you've you know just gotten off your shift it was tough you you had to plan ahead and and bring food like a real adult it was it was hard sarah well i will tell you this if you are tired of tony the tiger you can always try toucan santa toucan sam and if you don't know how to find his cereal just just follow my nose it always knows there you go so that's all she wrote Oh, Fruit Loops. Yes, I'm here today thanks to Fruit Loops. Ate a lot of those as a kid. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, enjoy your breakfast for dinner. As always, uh, we. Begin every hour here on the show, always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings uh, through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as uh, we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine, peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray 
Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from John 17, 3. Jesus the Lord says, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what it's all about, knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved than the holy name of Jesus. We always pray with great confidence that prayer that Drew and Maggie pray every afternoon during the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. You can find us on social media. Our handle are at, on X, formerly Twitter, is at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. And now, let's talk about love. This second week of Lent, the Lord continues to call us to a deeper and deeper conversation and transformation to completely surrender and really give our lives to the Lord, to give some serious sacrifice. And so the question is, what does that have to do with love? Joining us live this morning is our resident lovologist and regular contributor, Martha Fernandez-Sardina, to share some scriptural highlights intended to move us to respond to the saving love of the Lord with our love and devotion and the fruits of conversion uh, this Lent. Martha is an international bilingual speaker, the former director for evangelization for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. and San Antonio, and she's also the founder of RememberYouAreLoved.com. Good morning, Martha. Thanks so much uh, for uh, joining us. It's uh, great to be with you once again. Good morning. Great to be with you always, John. So, uh, Martha, what is on your mind here on this Tuesday in the, the second week of Lent? It is already flying by. It sure is. Well, besides the independence of the Dominican Republic, which is celebrated on uh, February 27th, uh, which is today. So uh, happy Independence Day to all Dominican friends of mine. Uh, all besides that, what's on my mind is conversion, change, transfiguration, transformation, transubstantiation, the trans life, the real trans life, being transformed by Jesus Christ into Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like Christ. And that's what we're being called to during this second week of Lent. We saw it on Sunday reading, right? The transfiguration of our Lord and every single day of Lent. He's calling us to go deeper and deeper, more and more, to enter into that life of conversation with him through prayer and conversion to him through the grace of God. So uh, God has done something for us, and he expects us to do something for him in return. He has loved us fully. He has saved us, and he's expecting us every day to respond in love, to respond in kind, to surrender to him, to sacrifice our lives like Abraham was called to uh, be willing to surrender and sacrifice his son Isaac. And just as the father was willing to surrender and sacrifice his son, just as Jesus sacrificed his life, we're called to uh, self-sacrifice, to give ourselves to these penitential practices and these sacrifices uh, that will lead us to contrition and confession and a life of penance, uh, which are all a sign of love. So 
uh, on my mind is that question that you asked a few minutes ago. What does that have to do with love? Well, it's all about love. It's recognizing the immensity of God's love for us and doing everything we can to show him our gratitude and our love, our fidelity, our desire to be with him and to be like him. Uh, so that's it. Uh, it's a way that the true lovers act. A spouse, if he truly loves his or her, uh, his wife or her, uh, she loves her husband. Uh, a parent loves a child. A child loves the parent. That's how we act in kind, responding with uh, love. So Lent and life are about receiving and responding to that awesome love of God with the greatest love possible. Well, Martha, as, as you know, I love the Word of God, uh, Scripture, and I know that there's several Scripture passages that have caught your attention uh, this uh, week here in the second week uh, of Lent. Uh, can you share with us uh, a, a Scripture that can set the tone for the type of love and the type of relationship uh, that God is uh, calling us uh, to do? Well, you and I both share that love for Holy Scripture, but I don't know if you have this experience, John, that by the time the homily comes on Sunday, you're wondering to yourself, what was that first reading? What was that second reading? Unless the homilist focuses on each of them. Uh, so I just want to help our listeners go back for a moment to that uh, Scripture passage from Genesis. On Sunday, that did catch my attention and set the tone for this whole week for me. Abraham was called to surrender and sacrifice his son, his only son, the promised son, the son of laughter, and the, his pride and joy, the one whom he loved, scripture says. And he was called to let go and let God, to let God decide and let God provide. And although it wasn't included in the scripture when he was on his way to Mount Moriah with Isaac, Isaac, his son, says, Father, I see you have the fire and the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, Yahweh Yireh. God will provide. And so the God who spared Abraham's son did not spare his own son so that you and I might be both spare and heirs. So that is something to ponder. God is asking me, even my pride and joy, even the thing that is most precious, the ones who are most precious to me, he's asking me to surrender. And he himself surrenders his only son. So that caught my attention. And that faith of Abraham, who is our father in the faith, scripture says numerous times, was credited to him as justice, as righteousness, as holiness. Uh, we see that in Genesis 15, 6. We see that in Romans 4, 22. We see Paul saying it again in Galatians 3, 6. So Abraham has become our father in faith, and you and I need to have that kind of faith, that kind of trust, that kind of heroic faith. Uh, and it's not exactly blind faith, but it's actually a knowing and informed faith, because as St. Paul uh, later tells us in 2 Timothy 1-2, I have known in whom I've trusted. He says, this is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And you and I could do the same. Trust the Lord fully. Trust even in the most uh, challenging of situations, like in that first reading uh, where we saw that God spares Abraham's son, uh, yet he, he didn't spare his own son. What does uh, this tell us about love? Well, it says, sure tells me that God loves me a whole lot. I mean, if he's able and willing to give his son uh, for this little daughter, then that means that the Lord God Almighty desires my eternal salvation and yours. Every one of you who are listening right now, he is willing 
enabled to pay the ultimate price for your salvation. And that actually is the focus point of Lent. That's the number one thing on God's mind, our relationship with him, our eternal relationship with him, our eternal destiny, our salvation. That's what he wants. And that's a relationship that he wants and without which sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, and us accepting Jesus' sacrifice and redemption, that eternal relationship is not possible without it. So uh, God spares us, though he didn't spare his own son for our sake. So we're called to respond to that love offer, to that salvation in Christ, uh, and become both the sparer and the heir, as I said. And that's what we are, thanks be to God, if we respond. If we read the entire chapter eight, we heard a portion of it proclaimed on Sunday in which we hear, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? But I went back and read the whole thing. It's like, wait, what precedes that? And it's a call to conversion that we are not to live in the flesh. We are to live in the spirit, that we are to live a converted life, a transformed life. That's what gives us the assurance that we heard uh, in the latter part of Romans. That's where we get the promise of redemption, of being saved, of having God be for us, even though the entire world might be against us. So choose Christ. And Martha, I think that uh, you hit it right on the nose. Uh, that's what the Lord wants. He wants our hearts. He wants us to convert that metanoia. And sometimes I think people, they emphasize the mercy of God and they forget about his justice and, and the clear demands of the Lord uh, that goes along with mercy. It's not either or, it's both and. Absolutely. And we must dispose ourselves to receive God's mercy because even those who think, oh, God is merciful, he'll just forgive me. Your heart might not be ready and disposed and open. It might become closed and hardened and not want uh, to receive the love mercy of God. And so we need to beware uh, of that. But also we have to beware of fake mercy, of cheap grace, of fake assumptions and presumptions. Actually, presumption is a sin. It's a grave sin. Uh, and the Lord himself, we saw that um, at the first week of, uh, of Lent uh, and even on Ash Wednesday, uh, Satan tempting, tempting Jesus and Jesus responds, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we should not presume of God's goodness and mercy, though they are real. And we should not just go on sinning as if nothing matters because sin matters. Evil matters. Sin is as ugly as sin. It's as ugly as hell. Uh, and so if we're persistent and hardened and blasphemous sinners and die that way in a state of unrepentant uh, uh, opposition uh, to the Lord of love, if we insist here on earth that our will be done in heaven uh, and not the other way around, that the Lord's will be done here as it is in heaven, we might die in a state of unrepentant sin and the mercy of God is not going to affect us because we will have chosen uh, to walk away from God. So beware, you're forewarned. God has made it very, very clear. He's made his expectations really clear. In fact, we hear in this week, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 1, hear what the word of the Lord says, princes of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, people of Gomorrah. Now, if you know anything about Sodom and Gomorrah, those people were in serious trouble. And the Lord calls out, wash yourselves clean, put away your misdeeds before my eyes, cease doing evil, learn to do good, make justice your aim, redress the wrong, hear the orphans plea, defend the widow. Come now, I love this phrase, this line here. This is the call, this is the invitation for you and for me right now. Come now, let us set things right, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, meaning bloody red, they may become white as snow. Though they be crimson red, 
they may become white as wool. If, and here's the if again, John, if you're willing and obey, you shall eat the good things of the land. But if you refuse and resist, the sword shall consume you for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there are people who are demanding that they be welcomed and affirmed and accepted and included in the church, no matter what they think, no matter what they believe, no matter what they do. The Lord is saying, that's not the way it works. The way it works is that I put forward my demands and my love and my mercy and my grace, and you respond with love, with humility, with repentance, with conversion, with change. Then your sins will be wiped away, and then you will be white as wool. And again, Martha, this has everything to do with love. It's all about love and our response to that love. Absolutely. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't have uh, saved us. He would have given up on us a long time ago. If God didn't love us, he would have annihilated us by now. If God the Father didn't love us, he wouldn't have sent his only begotten son to, to be our savior. If God the Son didn't love us, he wouldn't have agreed to not be spared so that we might be spared and so that we might become heirs. He wouldn't have become the sacrificial lamb on the wood of the cross. If God the Holy Spirit didn't love us, he would have refused to make his dwelling within us, our little feeble selves, what become temples of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God, redeemed souls, of course. He wouldn't be willing to transform us, to transfigure us, as it were, into living temples. So we do know that God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit love us dearly, and they want a relationship with us forever, with every single one of us, if we accept the offer and respond accordingly. So that's what's expected of you and me, to love God back. And we're equipped by God, by God to love God back, uh, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart and your whole soul and your whole mind and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. So respond. Don't pretend like you don't know. Don't insist on having it your way. Don't act like one or another New Yorker and end your days here singing, I did it my way, is not going to be pretty. So don't insist, I say to my soul, and I say to you who are listening, don't insist on demanding apologies from God and his church instead of allowing God through his church to transform and convert you and me. So choose God over sin and not sin over God. Choose the way of heaven, not to do it your way to get to heaven. Martha, a very uh, powerful yet inspirational message here this morning. Where can our listeners find you? At rememberyouareloved.com and at marthafernandezsardina.org. Right now I have them redirected to my Facebook profile and pages, but you can find quite a few things there. So uh, find me there, and I'd love to come out to your diocese, parish, your group to speak on love, conversion, anything that has to do with the Catholic faith. As always, uh, thanks so much for, for being with us. Thank you, John. And remember, you are loved. And so are you. Martha Fernandez Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLoved.com. We need to take a short pause when Morning Air continues our resident Catholic apologist. William Albrecht will be with us to discuss the Holy Eucharist, transubstantiation in the Bible and in the Church Fathers. So stay with us. We're Headed down the stretch on this uh, Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation 
Call 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Tuesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Jot down our number if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. As we get closer to the National Eucharistic Congress this July in Indianapolis, I'd like to dive into the Eucharist as the source and summit of the Christian life. In the celebration of the Holy Eucharist, bread and wine become the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the priest acting in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. What is the biblical basis for the Holy Eucharist, and what did the early church fathers teach about the sacrament of the altar? Joining us live is Morning Air contributor and our resident Catholic apologist, William Albrecht, with much more on the biblical basis for the Eucharist as well as a patristic perspective. William is an international speaker and debater, and he's participated in over 70 live and moderated debates. He runs a website called patristicpillars.com, which is dedicated to the early church fathers. And William is also the author of several books, including The Secret History of Transubstantiation, Pulling Back the Veil on the Eucharist. Good morning, Brother William. Thanks so much for joining us once again. It's great to be with you. Great to be with you, brother. Thrilled to be able to talk about, as you you alluded to it, really the heart of our faith, the beating heart of our faith, the belief in the Holy Eucharist, and it really is central to our Christian faith, central to our wonderful, beautiful Catholic faith. Thrilled to be here with you, brother. Well, we can never talk enough about our Lord truly present in the Holy Eucharist. It's kind of the theme here this morning as we're also, uh, you know, reminding the folks about the upcoming uh, National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. So I think you can never know too much about the Holy Eucharist. And, you know, before we we jump into uh, some of uh, the scriptural and historical basis for the Holy Eucharist, can you explain how we as Catholics believe that the Eucharist is the literal body and blood of Christ, while nearly 40,000 other Christian denominations believe that it's just a symbol, that Christ is only present symbolically. Yeah, and it really is unfortunate because biblically and historically, the early church has always believed that the Eucharist truly is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior. And earlier you talked about that teaching called transubstantiation. Well, what do we mean by that? Very simply, it is the transition of the entire substance of the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. And that is the doctrine of the church as the church laid out at the Council of Trent. But very clearly, the church has believed this from the very beginning. This was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it comes to fruition in the New Testament. And indeed, in order to have a true understanding of who our Lord is, of the proper theology of Christology, you've got to understand the doctrine of the Eucharist so central to our ancient Catholic faith, isn't it, brother? 
No, no question about it. Uh, I want to open up our phone lines. Uh, if you want to be part of our conversation uh, about uh, the Holy Eucharist, we're talking about the biblical basis for the Eucharist. And uh, w- why is it that uh, 70% of American Catholics don't believe in the true presence? Uh, we'd love to get your take. We're taking your calls for a Catholic apologist, William Albrecht at 888 888-914-9149. Now, the, the Catholic Church didn't just pull these teachings on transubstantiation uh, of Thomas Aquinas uh, out of thin air. Um, there is very strong biblical uh, uh, evidence uh, and basis for our belief. Can you, beginning with the Old Testament, can you uh, take us through a few of these prophecies, uh, these scriptures, uh, and then which leads into the fulfillment in the New Testament uh, about the Holy Eucharist and transubstantiation? Without a doubt, we've got two incredibly rich passages in the Old Testament. In Genesis 14, at around verse 18, we read, And King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, this is a shadow, a foreshadowing, a prophecy because we see well what do priests do when they bring out bread and wine well they offer sacrifice as we will read later our high priest from the order of melchizedek is our lord and savior it's christ so this is a clear foreshadowing of what is to come but another shadow is in malachi chapter 1 verse 11 we read for from the rising of the sun to its setting my name is great among the nations And in every place, incense is offered to my name and a pure offering. We know that that Hebrew word and that Greek word, when we're talking about offering, is talking about a true sacrifice. But look at that. In every place, incense is offered to my name. Well, if you look at Malachi 1, I dare say, brother, the only church that truly fulfills this prophecy is the Catholic Church, because in every place, as the Greek word Catholic is Catholicos, Catholic means universal. Well, guess what? Everywhere, great among the nations, in every place, there is incense offered and a pure offering. That is talking about the Holy Eucharist, isn't it, brother? Absolutely. And then we we fast forward to the New Testament, and uh, uh, we see in the Synoptic Gospels uh, the institution of of the Lord's Supper. Can you can you share for uh, for, for us uh, first of all what Saint Paul had to say about uh, the institution of uh, the Eucharist? Yes, yeah, Saint Paul first off begins off in chapter ten by telling those fellow Christians that you cannot worship at the table of demons and the table of the Lord. And then he tells us in verse in chapter 11, for I received from the Lord in verse 23, what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, this language is very clear, brother. He's clear. This is my body. 
This is the new covenant in my blood. It's very clear. This is very literal language. Nothing symbolic here at all. And that is why when we look at Matthew 26, we read, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread. After blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. But look at what the author of the gospel of St. Matthew focuses on. Look at what St. Matthew focuses on. Remember, each one is writing and taking down notes from their own perspective. And Matthew will note that our Lord says, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Well, let me tell the audience one thing. The Greek word, therefore, being poured out is the Greek word ekunomenon. It literally means the blood of Christ is being poured out at that exact moment. None of this language is symbolic, brother. None of it. And the Catholic Church has firmly held to the belief that the Eucharist truly is the body and blood of our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity from the very beginning. And brother, we do it because we're Bible Christians, aren't we? Not Bible only, but we are Bible Christians. And the Bible's very clear on what it teaches about the Holy Eucharist, isn't it? No question about it. Uh, and uh, these words uh, of institution that we see uh, from St. Paul and in the Gospels uh, are clear. It, it says, this is my body. It doesn't say this uh, symbolizes my body, or this is a symbol of my body, or this represents my body. This is my body. That's why when the priest says those sacred words, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it truly becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. It really is a miracle, William. It truly is. It's an amazing miracle. It's one that really we, we should be getting the Mass as much as we can. We really should because it's incredible. And earlier we talked about how truly understanding who the person of Christ is is vital in realizing what we have before us in the Holy Eucharist. We talked about body, blood, soul, and divinity. And people may wonder, well, where is that biblically? And you're going to find it all over the place, even in Luke 22. When we read about the Eucharistic account where it says, do this in remembrance of me, verse 21 of Luke 22 says, see, the one who betrays me is with me and his hand is on the table for the son of man is going as, as it has been determined. But woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. If you need any more evidence that the Eucharist truly is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, right there we're being told this Eucharist this is my body. This is my blood. But of who? Of the Son of Man. And as you know very well, brother, because we've talked about it and we've done amazing shows on it before, the Son of Man is Almighty God. Right there, you have the theology being laid out before you. That is why we take the doctrine of the Eucharist so seriously. That is why we bend the knee and we worship our Lord. What does Augustine say? That you sin if you do not adore the Eucharist. And guess what? I dare say, brother, that I've looked at the Bible even back when I was a Protestant, and I've yet to find a passage where people adore symbolic elements. That would be idolatry, wouldn't it, brother? No, no doubt about it. Uh, and if we take a look at uh, what John 6 has to say about the Holy Eucharist, uh, it is incredible evidence uh, for why we believe uh, that it is not just a symbol. It, our Lord's words are extremely clear in that uh, Bread of Life uh, discourse in John 6. No doubt. John 6 is mind-blowing. Right around verse 27 where we read, 
labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which endures unto everlasting life. And then look at it. There it is again. In every gospel account, we have it right there, which the Son of Man will give you. You've got to understand he's almighty God. That's why the belief in the Eucharist is so vital. For him hath God the Father sealed. Our fathers did eat man in the desert, it says, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you. Moses gave you not bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. I am the bread of life, verse 48 says. And then verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven. And that's that's the whole theology of the Son of Man. He says, I'm the living bread. And then this is amazing right here in verse 54. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. But as we read this, as we break it down, when it talks about partaking and eating of the Eucharist, it uses a particular Greek word, brother, the Greek word trogon, which literally tells us that we are gnawing, we are eating the body of Christ. And that truly is amazing. And that is the heart of the Eucharist. No symbolic language in any of this, brother. And he goes on to say it uh, in the following verses numerous times, just for emphasis, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have uh, life everlasting. And so this is the proof text in John 6, really a very powerful scripture for us as Catholics that we really should study and meditate and really let it uh, sink into our hearts. Yes, without a doubt. And as you can see, we looked at St. Paul, and it's in all of the synoptic gospels. It's even in the Old Testament foreshadowed and prophesied. This is why from the very beginning, brother, all of the early church fathers unanimously believed that the body and blood of our Lord was present there in the Eucharist. And that is why we call people to be Catholic today. Well, when you look at what the early church fathers had to say about the Holy Eucharist, uh, it is uh, pretty uh, compelling. It is it is a powerful reminder uh, for us of what the early church actually uh, believed. We're going to have to uh, leave that for the next time because we're just out of time. But uh, the, the early church fathers were unanimous in believing what we still believe here uh, today. As always, I uh, really appreciate you being with us, uh, William. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Had a great time. Look forward to being back with you. Absolutely. Catholic apologist William Albrecht, the author of The Secret History of Transubstantiation. We need to take a short break when we come back. Preston Alex, a CPA, Chief Financial Officer at Relevant Radio, will be with us uh, to talk about traveling to the National Eucharistic Congress with Relevant Radio. So stay with us. Much more to come here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. My kind of magic is automatic. I feel like dancing. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and producer Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You can always send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. That's 888 914-9149. Now, as you can tell uh, this morning, in fact, in both hours, we've had a Eucharistic 
theme to our program. We've been talking all things uh, Eucharist. Uh, Steve Angrizano was with us in the first hour uh, to talk about music in the Holy Eucharist and uh, the expectations for this uh, upcoming National Eucharistic Congress. And just moments ago, we were talking with uh, William Albrecht, uh, our Catholic uh, apologist, uh, about the biblical basis. So there is so many different aspects of things that we can talk about when it comes to the Holy Eucharist, because keep in mind, there were just a few months away. Time is just flying away uh, from the National Eucharistic Congress uh, happening this summer, July 17th through the 21st uh, in Indianapolis, uh, in uh, the home of the Indianapolis Colts. And so the question this morning for our listeners, are you planning on going? Have you been thinking about it? Are you on the fence? Have you signed up? All kinds of uh, answers to those questions. Uh, if you uh, go uh, to uh, relevantradio.com slash travel, you can learn much more about going to the National Eucharistic Congress, or you can give us a call one 9559 That's one 400 9559. Joining us live uh, this morning in studio is uh, Preston Alex, a CPA, the Chief Financial Officer of Relevant Radio, uh, to talk about uh, traveling to the National Eucharistic Congress uh, with our Relevant Radio family. Hey, Preston. Thanks so much for stopping by Thank in person, you. coming down from upstairs here to be in our little humble studio. I love being here. Thanks, John. All right. Uh, give us your your take, uh, your perspective. I know this is something that's been on your mind for a long time, yeah. uh, this National Eucharistic Congress. Why should someone yeah. attend this summer? Yeah. So I started to get involved with the Eucharistic Congress several months ago because Relevant Radio decided to be the presenting sponsor there. So we've been heavily involved. I've been learning a lot about all the amazing things that they got planned there. You know, the speaker lineup's incredible. They have Christophonic. Bishop Robert Barron, Father Mike Schmitz, Sister Josephine, Sister Miriam, and who I'm most excited to see is Father Rocky, Drew Mariani, and Patrick Madrid. And I believe Sarah Tafoya and Glenn and a lot of the other relevant radio hosts are going to be there. So if you want to see our our amazing Catholic faith on fire, this is the place to be. If you want to get the message of truth in a way that you've never heard before— in a live experience. There's just nothing like a live experience. You know, you know, people across the world go to these music concerts all the time, even though they can listen to music anytime on the radio, but to get it live and in a special way, the Catholic church has this ability where we can get sacramental grace. Imagine 80,000 people all together. You know, God says when two or three are gathered there, I will be. If 80,000 people are there, the sacramental grace that's going to outpour to the people in that stadium is going to be Unbelievable, John. I understand that half uh, the tickets are already uh, sold, so uh, there's still a little ways to go. But can you imagine the energy in that building if we can fill the whole thing up and to be there uh, standing up for Jesus? Yeah, that's that's why we need you to, to actually come. It's not enough for us to to plan this event and offer this event. We need the Catholics in this country to stand up and show that the culture is not winning, to show that we are an important part of this society and that we're, we're standing together for Jesus. And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. In That's fact, right. there hasn't been a Congress like this in 50 plus years. Yeah, it's been a long time. And, and so I think that this is, this is one of those few chances we have to, to really come together as a church 
they're going to have this incredible Eucharistic procession, maybe one of the largest Eucharistic processions that have ever happened, where where they're going to walk through the streets of Indianapolis with all these amazing Catholics. I I, I don't want to miss it, John. Honestly, it's it's. I, I, if anybody wants to go, we we have t- discounted tickets available. We have travel packages available. We are here to help you get there if you want to go, and and we want you to go. There's no reason to struggle and try to do it all by yourself. Yeah. There's a benefit to a teaming up with our Relevant Radio family and uh, to go with with Relevant Radio to to this National Eucharistic Congress. Yeah, so we did partner with a, a great group, Nativity Pilgrimages. They they're the largest tr- pilgrimage company for Catholics in in this country, and so they they're very very wise and know what they're doing, and. They're going to help us arrange flights and hotels. We're we're one of the few people that have hotel rooms downtown Indianapolis. So if you want an easy experience where you're downtown really close to the Congress, we still have rooms available there. There's not a lot left, but we do have rooms. If if you go online right now, if you don't believe me, go online right now, look at those dates. You will not find a single room downtown. I, I guess I looked yesterday, and the, the only room available was $1,300 a night which is just crazy. So we have great rooms at great rates. Just just give us a call at 844-400-9559. That's 844-400-9559. Or go to relevantradio.com slash travel. Absolutely. Uh, what if somebody's on the fence and they're just not sure if they can make it to all, all five days of the Congress? Uh, any other options? Sure. We do. We do have the ability to have weekend passes or, or, or you can go for a day or two. That's certainly available. However, the Congress is structured in a way where each theme builds on each day's theme builds on the previous days. So if you just come at the end, you're going to be missing out on on some of the contacts and, and learnings that are happening in the week. But certainly, this is the time where you don't you don't you don't miss out. It'd go for whatever amount of time you can go to, and and you're gonna you're not gonna regret it. And Father Rocky has been doing these amazing videos, these Eucharistic encounters, and he's even written a book. That's uh, right. To, to really motivate and inspire the folks to go. Yeah, that's right. So even if you're not gonna go with one of our travel packages, just get our, the admission ticket through us because we got it discounted, and we we're giving away. Father Rocky's new book, Treasures of the Eucharist, and um, signed copies to to people that you know travel with us. So we're really excited about this event. Well, we're excited as well uh, here at the network, and uh, we hope that uh, our uh, Relevant Radio family is listening and thinking, okay, uh, we need to do something. So uh, today's the day if you've been thinking about it. Again, one more time, uh, the number is one 844 Four zero zero nine five five nine, or you can go to relevantradio.com slash travel. That's right. Preston, as always, uh, thank you for stopping by. Thank really uh, good to see you again. I love it. Thanks, and everybody, thank you for, for showing up for Jesus. All right, showing up for Jesus. It's now time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Temper Control. There once was a little boy who had a bad temper. His father gave him a bag of nails and told him every time he lost his temper, he must hammer a nail into the fence. The first day, the boy had driven 37 nails into the fence. Over the next few weeks, he learned to control his anger, and the number of nails hammered daily gradually dwindled down. He discovered it was easier to hold his temper than drive all those nails into the fence. Finally, the day came when the little boy didn't lose his temper at all. 
He told his father about it, and the father suggested the boy now pull out one nail for each day he was able to hold his temper. The days passed, and the young boy was finally able to tell his father that all the nails were gone. The father took his son by the hand and led him to the fence. He said, You have done well, my son, but look at the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. When you say things in anger, they leave a scar, just like this one. You can put a knife in a man and draw it out. It won't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, the wound is still there. Make sure you control your temper. Next time you're tempted to say something, you'll regret later. Ephesians 4.26 In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Join Father Rocky and Bishop Frank DeWayne tomorrow, February 28th at 7 p.m. Central for a special broadcast of the Family Rosary Across America on the road, live at Ave Maria University, our proud sponsor. Video stream on the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com slash rosary. That's relevantradio.com slash rosary. And remember, as Father Rocky always says, the family that prays together stays together. That'll do it for this Tuesday, February 27th, 2024 edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, Young Thomas, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you tomorrow on the next Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead.